when you create and when you choose to engage that part of you, it is catching. I think it encourages other people to be brave if they're willing, and they're not just going to say, I don't know how she does that. Welcome to Created Creative. I'm Dawn. And I'm Ruth. And we're back in Lent. How was your Lent? My Lent so far is very good. Nothing too exciting. Well, wait, we have some exciting news. We do collective exciting news to share with all of you because you're part of it. Anyone listening is a part of this at this moment in real time. I know. Like this news actually really surprised me and I'm thrilled about it. So Don, tell them what's happening. There is a website that audits every podcast and there are millions And in our topic, which is religion and spirituality, we are in the top 10% already. Isn't that something? I mean, that's pretty cool when you think about how many podcasts are out there now. Yes. Yeah. So thank you for listening. Thank you, people. Yes. This is a direct correlation to you listening and telling people. It's very, very fun to see that all this work that we love doing, that it's paying off. And I really think people are going to love our episode today. It's so good. Yes. Casey, wait, how did you find her? I met her through Consecrate. For a little while, I had that Facebook group for creative people, and we would do a meetup every now and then on Zoom. She came to that, and that's how I met her the first time. And I've just always been such an admirer of her art because she's really good about sharing it on Instagram. And I love that she's an adult beginner. It is worth listening to her process of starting a brand new thing that has gotten to this level. Yeah, it's very cool, isn't it? I didn't realize it had been so recently that she had become an artist because it's so central to how I think of her. So everyone could be an adult beginner. That's something, right. And also everyone should be subscribed to the Consecrate if you're not. Yes, yes. Because you get cool things like art from Casey. Yeah, artists like Casey... We've talked several times about her putting something in the box, and she's going to at some point, but she hasn't yet. Uh You need to be subscribed because you never know what's going to be in the box. So you'll miss her month unless you're subscribed. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pitch your thing. (laughs) Thank you for the plug, Don. So I didn't ask you what's exciting with you. Sure. No, I'm rewriting my book thanks to you. Oh, yeah. Yay. I am so excited about this. And I saw that your daughter is helping with editing. Yes. (laughs) She's very into the physical book and playing with it. And it's a funny thing. I could just write a new intro and say, hi, this is from 2012. Here's my update. But instead, I am going through it and updating a lot of the stories. I'll be interested to see how you've done that. Is it daunting to go through the whole thing? Or are you finding that process fun? It's fun. Some of it I didn't remember at all. So it's good (laughs) I wrote it. I'm finding additional themes. Mm -hmm. I think the world cares about different things now, one of them Mm -hmm. being community. There's a lot more research out there that's been released about connections. And I think I had a very unique vantage point Mm -hmm. because I was traveling for a decade, mostly in people's homes. So this Mm -hmm. was not a decade of primarily hotels or being by myself, but Being in people's homes, being in people's lives, having regular relationship with people in all four American time zones. Yeah. You see how relationships get built and what it takes and how different people are seeing the world in a unique way. 
that even though I did it back then, it speaks to the world now about connecting and friendship. Here's yeah. a fun fact. Did you know about this 85-year study that Harvard did on happiness and it's still going on? I've heard of it, but remind me. So it started, I think, in 1938. John F. Kennedy was in the first oh, round. Really? Oh. Uh, yes. So one of the things they found is the number and depth of real connections you have at 45. So not, oh, I work with them, but doing real things, sharing real stories. Yeah. If you have a depth and breadth of connections at 45, you are three times healthier at 65 oh, and 75. Totally believe that. It's so fascinating. So oh, wow, that is so interesting. I'm putting in more kind of recent research yeah. to back up things I was just observing anecdotally. Well, good luck as you continue working on mm -hmm. it. Thank you and enjoy Casey. Yes. <laughs> we did it. Yay. This is a big moment for us, Casey. Yeah. I'm Dawn. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And Ruth, we met. Yeah. As soon as we started talking about this podcast, Casey, you were someone who I hoped would be able to talk to us. So I'm so glad that you're well, here today. Thank you. I'm so <laughs> glad to be here. Well, I have so many questions for you, but maybe for those who aren't as familiar with you or what you do, could you share a little bit about yourself? Yes. I am a Presbyterian pastor in the Northern Virginia, D.C. area. And also the professional artist is my side passion, though it feels like it's fueling everything in terms of my spirit these days. Yeah. I have three kids. I am divorced and remarried and I have five kids now. So that's nice. Yeah. And it was really recently you got remarried, right? Yeah. There's a lot of joy right now. Oh, I loved seeing your pictures from your wedding. It just looked like it was such a joyful occasion. Had you known him? No, I met at conferences randomly. He was in Pennsylvania and then we became friends and he's just a huge gift in this oh. second half of my life. I love that. Yeah. Okay. And then this is a little bit more on topic. You said earlier that you had a podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast? Oh, yes. It's the first sort of step in like real transforming my ministry was the Network of Biblical Storytellers. It's an incredible organization and it's learning to tell scripture by heart. That's not rote memorization, but really an embodiment of scripture. And it transformed the way that I understand scripture itself, the way that it relates to who I am in my body. I went up doing two years uh, and it was fairly rigorous definitely failed the biblical geography test the first time. It was very transformative. And it's something that I could easily teach to anybody. Once you learn it, you can teach it. And it transforms the way other people experience scripture and important to hear scripture from other people's bodies and other people's voices. So this is the first part of my transformation. This is getting to the podcast. So I had a podcast for a couple of years called Story Divine, where I would tell the biblical stories and then just ask a question or two, give a prompt at the end. Very brief, but it was very rewarding, especially since at the time I was in a very large church as an associate where I couldn't preach very often. And so this was my outlet of being able to do the thing that I love, speak about uh, what mattered to me at any given moment and invite people into the story. Alongside of that, I've studied personal storytelling. So the both kind of mm. thing. And then also improv. So I think your first interview, yes. you talked a little bit about improv. So I went up 
doing intro level improv. Then I went into improv for therapists and pastors. I went up teaching improv at my church and a pastor's kid who's father had, I don't know if it was severe dementia or Alzheimer's. And she said, I was thinking about you all last week because I use those improv skills to be with my 30-year-old dad in the last week of his life. And we just had a joyful time together because I was able to engage him exactly where he was, exactly who he thought he was. And I'm just sitting there reading this text like, I've moved on. I have not done improv in a really long time. The principles of it are definitely integrated into how I paint and who I am as a pastor and how I preach. But just hearing that when we share what we're doing along the way, we have no idea what God is going to do with that. So those are the kind of things that keep me going when I'm worried that I'm like, oh, just doing this new thing that I like to do. And and what does it mean? And how's it connected to God? I'm like, all right, you don't know. You don't have control over this. The trust needs to be there that, that God will do something with it. And then somehow you got from improv to painting. I had never painted before, never drawn, never taken art classes. I do remember I would buy watercolor sets randomly as a kid or in seminary and think, I really want to do this, but it was not a priority and then I decided that during my first sabbatical, my only sabbatical thus far, I wanted to do something nonverbal, very comfortable talking, just in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> and I started it right before I wound up separating from my ex-husband. And I was terrible. I've always been crafty, creative, but it was a beautiful lesson from it. And what I like to remind my kids is for the first time, I was really willing to suck. I get really frustrated. It was not meditative. It was like, really frustrating because I like pretty things and what I was making were not pretty things not for a really long time I didn't understand but that practice of letting go I think it was the first time I've ever had something where I'm like I never want to stop I just want to paint all the time yeah so how long ago was that sabbatical six years ago six years so beautiful oh, thank you you're speaking to so many things yeah, as people watch for what the Holy Spirit is doing. They don't want to suck at something and you're like, it's the only way. And they also are like, I don't know if that's exactly how God wants to use me. And you're like, if you follow your instinct, God will use it. So I love that you've just walked into two of people's biggest fears and we're like, I'm going to do it. It is frustrating, but you did it. Yeah. And there's plenty of things that I've taken up as I was listening to your podcast, you all talked about doing some sort of van-oriented puppet ministry. I'm not sure. Yes, it's a van-oriented puppet. Was like, yeah, at some point had a walking puppet theater okay. and I probably have six sort of guitar-like instruments in my house that I play okay. hack. And it's never been yes. that I've sat down every day and just been like, I got to do this. I want to be able to play the guitar really well, but I apparently don't want it that bad. And I'm just not drawn to it in the same way. So it may be the next thing, but all these things do seem to add up. And I would like to think that I was like, yeah, I'm just going to do this and throw caution to the wind. I deserve this. So this is where God's leading me. But for the most part, it's very anxiety laden the whole time. I'm like, does this count? Is this acceptable? Can I use church funds to take water mm. color message? I do wish more churches were more supportive of that kind of stuff because you don't know it's going to affect the person or change them. So I don't know what the next thing I'm learning is. The cool thing about painting is there's always something new to learn. Mm -hmm. Being in abundance and mutual encouragement is what sets you free to do beautiful things. Some of them don't look beautiful. I'm not like out there showing my 
scrap, but there's a lot of crap in between the finalized painting and the beginning. That's what you got to get through. People give up when they see the crap, but the great stuff's on the other side of it. That's it. I have this, I have this painting of a giant tiger. I don't know if anyone will ever want to purchase it, but I love it. It's mixed media, but it was literally like a painting of some weird abstract grass kind of thing before it was hot air balloons. And then I was like, no, I hate that. And then, so all of that texture adds up. And so I had it hey studio and they said, tell us about this. And it's got this cool tiger. And if you look here, that's where the hot air balloon was. And if you look here, that's where this was. And so all of these are like the thickness of my, I don't know if failure is the right word, but not getting it right or mistakes or movement in the wrong direction. So the pieces that are behind you are both of those on wood? This one is actually canvas. Part of the problem with a big wooden piece is like crazy heavy. Shipping alone. I painted Mary the Tower after Diana Butler Bassett's piece with Elizabeth Schrader on Mary Magdalene. And I had never shipped a very expensive painting before. Mm. So it was heavier. It's also a lot more stable that way. This one is on hardboard. My penguins are on canvas. There's just like random quirky things Uh that I do. The yellow pieces, I wrapped canvas around hardboard so I can dig into it and sand and do all these other things that I like to do. Then I can take the canvas off, roll it up and ship it somewhere. So I'm learning, but I do prefer to paint on wood so that I can be rough with my work. Is your studio close to your house? Yes. So my studio, I can't believe it. It's five minutes from my home which was essential. So it is a building that's a framing shop. It's managing. They're really like business offices up to artists. So it's not a have to apply to get in and be juried in. It's can you pay the rent? There are a lot of wonderful artists in here. So the five minutes is awesome. And that means like the community is Mm hyper-local as well. Do you try to go there at a certain time each day or you have a routine to your creative process or is it You just try to get there whenever you can. It's currently I get there whenever I can. I did a really significant time audit between Christmas and New Year's where everyone's brain is mush after Christmas Eve services. And it was very eye-opening in terms of how much time I spend trying to figure out what the best way forward is with my art reading and studying and being in workshops and being in small groups and stuff like that versus how much time I was actually making. And so I dropped out of a bunch of stuff because I was like, I'm now using it as a crutch and an excuse. Like, I think the reason I went into painting in the first place was to slow down the words and to listen. And now I've given up my voice again and trying to listen to what makes for the best art business practice, et cetera, et cetera. Not that those things aren't important, but at some point you have to do it instead of just asking everyone else how they do. And and then grip on when I'm at church. It's a very small church I serve right now. And then post-COVID, I just don't feel the need to be in there all the time. So I established two two two-hour chunks each week where I have open office hours. They can come in. But otherwise, I'm maybe in there. I'm maybe doing something, visiting. I may be doing all these other things. And I may be at home working. Or I may be in the studio. I've tried to carve out one day a week to fully be present in the studio. I listen to a lot of audiobooks for my sermons, which is really helpful. But I do think that part of my emerging practice is to stop listening to words while I am painting 
I listen to a lot of bilateral stimulation music for my ADHD. Who are some of your favorite creative people that you admire? People that are inspiring. Oto Fujimura, Art and Faith, and N.T. Wright. I've been trying to connect with and find other artists who are Chris to see. Is there a mentor for me out there? Is there, and listening to his book, I highly recommend it to people. Our theologies might not be exactly the same, but it, it is a theology of creation. And so it I mean, works perfectly with the title to your podcast. He is talking about how being creative is of our birthright. Full stop. That is part of how we are made to be. And that a community, basically like all faith communities needs to participate in creating. And at one point he says, the question we should be asking each other after worship or as people come into worship, what'd you make this week? And it doesn't need to be art. It's just, what is it that you engage with molded uh, improv is creation? Like what yes. a conversation with your dementia laden relative, loved one, raising children mm-hmm. is a very exhausting act of creation. I highly recommend that book. Thank you. And then I think my latest, as I've been trying to find, they talk a lot about finding your voice as an artist. And I think for a long time in this, I've been trying to push aside for the sake of staying open to everyone. The fact that my art is very spiritual. It's who I am as a pastor. And I've finally gotten to the point where I'm going to stop trying to be all things to all people and just own this is who I am and be authentically out there like that and okay with it. It feels weird to be selling things. I've heard you talk a little bit about that with various people and I've done work with coaches and groups, but I'm usually the only pastor or anything like that in the room. Didn't really want to be branded a Christian artist. My husband and I joke that Christian in front of everything makes it not great. I'm yes. a snob, self-professed, though it probably depends on who's saying Christian in front of it. But, and I think they're universal principles still. I'm authentically and committedly interfaith and, and committed to interfaith work and justice work. So not every piece will speak to anyone. My style is my style, period. But the sales part, all that feels icky. Art is expensive. I can't afford my art. Most of it, I also can't afford to make it if you don't sell it. Is that what you want to talk about? The ickiness of selling? I don't know. I think it does boil down to comfort in saying like, my art is an extension of who I am as a pastor and my right. art has value. And also a small business is really expensive. I have some wounds around the former person in my life would joke about all of my non-lucrative hobbies. And the flip side of that is we're supposed to give everything away and um, and and if you were talking to me about your practice, I'd be like, no, but it's so different Mm -hmm. when it's like ingrained in your system. You've had years and years of programming to that entire framework. And so we have to be graceful in untangling it within ourselves, that there's just going to be a lot of layers of owning your worth, all the things. I think you know all the things to say. It's hard to feel it and act on it. Is that right? Yeah. What's the math? Do you know how much you need to make from the art in order for the art to sustain itself? So I don't understand numbers. I left it all in the SAT playing field, as I like to say. Nice. That was like 30 years ago. But the math is between rent here. I live in a very expensive area insurance on all the art and insurance on the space supplies paint all has skyrocketed 
and I have not raised my prices, I think in part because I haven't found the right place to market them. Like I I do really well in my prints because there are a lot of pastors that can afford to buy a print. I'm sure people are like, these are expensive, but it all goes through a third party that I pay a lot. Shipping is insane through those third parties. I had to increase the smallest print you could get because I realized I was paying money when people were buying things. So I think people, I'm making all these assumptions about what people think. And the bottom line is, does it really matter? It matters, but it cannot be the driver behind what I make. Because you're thought that the prints are too expensive. We have made up this critical person that's not attached to a real human, and they're always going to be more critical. And I have not raised my prices since 2022. There's part of me that thinks I don't charge enough for my bigger pieces so they're not taken serious i don't yeah again because i couldn't afford them but yeah where are the people who collect art in dc and that's got to be a thing it's a major city yeah there are obviously galleries and shows you can apply to the art world seems to be very insular and some of that may be rumor a number of us have started this women's collective of artists to try to go together to galleries and go support each other and so i went to my Second artist opening recently in Georgetown. I had to leave. I was having a panic attack. It was filled with people that I probably wouldn't want to associate with and realizing that those aren't my people. So it seems like it's just been a long process of finding my people because art is so subjective. People will say to me, I want to own one of your pieces. I'm waiting for the one. And that makes complete sense to me because I can love your work and it's not right. It's not right. It's not right. Yeah. And one day I'm like, that's my story. Or I feel on a soul level connected with that. I'm not even sure I can articulate why, but this feels like it's mine. And so I think it's more a matter of like me using my email list and being willing to talk about it and being willing to write about it (laughs) and then keeping faithful to painting what I want to be making and the stories that I want to be telling this is where the storytelling is connected to it because painting mm-hmm. really feels like storytelling, but like a midrash version. Okay. So I don't think there were pink and lavender bubbles at the washing mm-hmm. of Jesus' feet and the tears didn't form like a puddle at the bottom. Right. But that is the sense I wanted to evoke in this piece. The more of your soul you put into it, the more other people's souls will connect to it. Like the more you, you are. Authenticity is like my highest value. And I think when we do things and put them out there, this is where I struggle with social media, like the art of doing something in front of people shifts it. And because authenticity is so important to me, I think that stumbling block to sharing, what's the intent of this sharing? What is she trying to come off as? But again, I listened to your podcast and I'm listening to all these wonderful, creative people. The one with Julie talking about ballet, I'm like, this amazing. I'm so glad she's owning herself in that space. I do think I have something to share with people. And it means so much when people may know that I did not start painting to sell paintings. Even if I had, that's fine. But I couldn't draw. Now I got to do it all the time. I'm really excited. I'm obsessed with Mary's, Mary Magdalene, Mary, Mother of Jesus. And I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about this series of some of Jesus stories from Mary's perspective or from one I'm playing with in my sketch pad right now is when Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field, that's something that your mom might have said to you. 
right? Consider the lilies, Jesus, when they're out walking among the wild together. And so it was just Mary's hand and a, and a child's hand in the, in the midst of these bright flowers, because uh, unfortunately, I hate lilies, except for my stepdaughter named Lily. I love her. Uh, but getting to do that midrash sort of work of this is what it means to be a, a mom who's like teaching her son to pay attention to the flowers. And is there a, a curriculum writer or a devotion writer or a sermon series writer? It feels like you're a Lenten series for next year and some major publisher can be putting your art out there. So I went on to my email and Facebook last year and I was like, hey, I'm going to do this because my previous coach was like, you need to tap into that. Okay, I have some pieces I could already use and I created some more. So I would send out reflections. I gave them to my church. I, with my ADHD mm-hmm. and everything, the idea of deadlines, especially since it's extra, makes me very anxious. I try to do that for this lot too. And I was like, I'm not feeling it right now. Mm-hmm. It may be yes for the future, but I, there's a, a lot of good art liturgy stuff out there. Sanctified art is wonderful. And want to get to create at will without expectations well, then- put on me from somewhere else. Yep. So. It needs to be $10,000 then, the art. The people who create at will, each piece is ten to 20000 And then it sustains you for some time until you feel like creating again. Totally legit. And there are people that won't buy something for cheap. There are people that won't buy things under a certain amount. This is interesting. I think a lot of people, artists, struggle with this. I also mm-hmm. want my art to be accessible to people. And I guess that's what the prints do. Yes. I, I don't love doing that. If you are going to have it be cheap, it needs to be wide. You need to be selling 10,000 copies then. That's fine. A lot of people think everything has to be accessible, but no, the prints are accessible. The originals cost some money. There's like designers selling things or putting things on red carpets for the Oscars and the Met Gala. And then there's a version at Target. Those are separate for them. And the Target one sells millions. That high-end one is super expensive. And I have sold pieces for $9,000 commission. Ken is only one more thousand. We're there. It would be a big jump. So like this one is three foot by four foot. And I think I have it listed at 2,500. Okay, so can it go to to 5,000? Yeah. The email will be like, it's about to jump. (laughs) That's what you do. You just say, March 1st, these are all doubling. If you'd like them at this price, you need to get them in February. Fair warning, it's a short month. Get on it. And then March 1st, they all double. It's so interesting because I feel like I'm receiving this better from you all than I have from my previous coaches and workshops just because I'm like, here are two faithful people that are not like, here's how you game the market. Here's how you take advantage. Like, Not take um, advantage. But the art should be able to sustain you. It's and really what you helpful. do is valuable. There are all these high net worth people that are like, I want to do something with this money. We have to also um, love the people who have $10,000 to throw at art. There are good people at all economic levels. I know. I'm related to some. Oh, of them. great. I'm related to people on either end of the spectrum. Awesome. Good. Um, I, it's the, I want to see myself in a certain way. And mm-hmm. I can also choose what I do to support and bring other people up with me. So uh, what's your next step to making this sustainable? It, it, I think just being authentically owning who I am as a pastor and a painter and trying to yes. integrate that more. I am working 
on a Lily Grant renewal leave for everyone else that's due in a month. So I really wish my ADHD meds would get here soon. And then I am going to have to really think about my pricing now. Nudged me. I'm sorry we're pushing you when the meds aren't here. Oh, no, that's okay because I'm more likely to be like, yeah, let's do it. The next step sounds like the Lily Grant. That is a hard deadline that comes once a year. Don, I am obsessed with you. Just for listening to this podcast, I was not familiar with you before. I already had a social media crush on Ruth. And so then I started listening to you both. And I was like, they're really good at this. And also that's the kind of coaching that integrates multiple realities. I have been looking for someone who can coach me, who can marry that faith piece and the business piece. I've only worked with people that were on the business end. And I think because of my hangups, it's just hard for me to believe them. (laughs) Um, And I have worked really hard to be an integrated person. Ruth, you're like my hero about just putting yourself out there and blessing other people with your presence and inviting people in and being funny and quirky. And I'm like, really weird so thank you yeah thank you and we're obsessed with you too so it's mutual i'm so glad you found your way in and shared all your wisdom with us i think that the important thing that i really want to share for other people is so what i hear a lot from people is i don't know how you have the time to do all of that or you're so naturally talented two things are the reality of my life is i only have my kids every other week And that is a grief. And it also allows for a lot more time to do this kind of thing. That's part of my sad reality. And then the other piece of it is you don't have time. You choose the time. My house is a mess. Certain things don't always get done. I need to create. I will be an unhappy person if I don't. And I think when I turned 40, I was like, I'm done putting everyone else's happiness over mine, especially if it's not working. When you create and when you choose to engage that part of you, it is catching. I think it encourages other people to be brave if they're willing and they're not just going to say, I don't know how she does that. It's tapping into what other people desire too. And that's good. If you want to pick up a paintbrush, pick up a paintbrush. If you want to make bad art, call it abstract. If you want to dance, dance. If you want to sing your hymn really loud, but you're tone deaf, sing loud. Like, it's not about quality. It's about the actual act of it and the freedom to, to do that. I think that the, the thing that I need to keep reminding myself is that when I share that, it gives other people permission to have courage in being creative and free. Yes, that's so beautiful. Thank you for Uh, that. Very good closing statement. A plus. I'm loving that. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Created Creative. I just wanted to tell you that Casey did follow up and we did a free intro session of coaching one-on-one. And you don't have to be a podcast guest to take advantage of that. Just go to bigpicturebigpurpose.com slash explore and please follow us and leave a rating for us on spotify and itunes and also a review on apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts go create something go create something